0: Hey guys, welcome to Trinity Church Online. For more information, please visit us at ourtrinity.org. Or you can find us on Facebook at Trinity Church of Wheat Ridge, or even on Instagram at Trinity Church CO. No matter where you are today, we are glad that you have joined us here. You know, we think we have so much technology today. But I want to tell you that Moses was way, way ahead of his time. I mean, he was the first man to download files from a cloud using a tablet. So if you're out there using any of those devices today, we want you to know you're way behind what Moses used to do. Hey, this morning we want to continue our series, and we've been looking at 2 Timothy, so I want you to turn there to the third chapter. We've been looking at the charge of the gospel to the next generation, and we're looking at study number six today, continuing in the gospel in chapter three, Part one, we'll finish up the second half of that chapter, Lord willing, next week. But as Paul is sitting in his cell there in Rome, he's still concerned. He's concerned with the future of the gospel. Who will preach it, who will live it after he's gone. And he's concerned with the evil of its time. Growing ever stronger in its influence and its impact and its opposition. And whether Timothy was going to remain faithful enough to be able to do what needed to be done. So today we're gonna look at continuing in this gospel though facing times of stress in verses one and two. Continuing even when facing men that are evil in verses two through nine. And then Lord willing next week we'll complete the chapter. We'll look at continuing to stand firm in our faith verses 10 to 15 and continuing with the purpose of scripture in verses 15 through 17. But it's all about continuing in this third chapter I want you to look at a couple of key words before we pray this morning. Look at verse one, but know this. I want you to underline this, know this. This is something that Timothy needed to know. It's something that we need to know. We need to know what's in this chapter. And then in verse two, for men. See that little phrase, for men. And in contrast to that, go down to verse 10, and you see, but you. So this is a contrast between men and Timothy. And in verse 14, he says, you must continue. You see that word? That's where we get our theme for this chapter. He must continue in the things which you have learned and the things that you have been assured of. We have to continue in this great handoff. Let's pray. Finishing. Lord, finishing what we've started. Continuing. As we have come to faith, will we fall away? Having received the gospel, will we let it disappear? Be of no effect. Will we continue in the things that we have learned and been taught? Father, this is the challenge for us as we face times of stress, as we face evil men. So, Lord, once again, this is your word. It's your truth. It's, you promise that with that word, that truth, you'll set us free. And your purpose for us is freedom in Christ. And so as we read through this, may your Holy Spirit be the teacher. May he transform our thinking, our thoughts, our very lives to conform to the things that are instructed for us here. So Lord, we we commit this passage of scripture to you and your Holy Spirit to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing we have to continue in is through facing times of stress. So I want you to take your notes and follow along. It's that green sheet that's in your bulletin. You'll see the notes up there, but we have to continue even though we're facing times of stress. Look at verse 1. It says, But know this, that in the last days perilous or stressful times will come for men. Now, why does Paul start this chapter with the commitment and this command to know this, to understand this? I mean, opposition to the gospel was already evident. Paul had been arrested, he had been chained, he'd been imprisoned for the very sake of the gospel. Everyone in Asia almost had repudiated him. And earlier in this letter, Paul had urged Timothy not to be ashamed of the gospel in chapter 1, not to be able to do anything but be willing to even suffer for that gospel in chapter 2. And Paul reminds him through these first two chapters that it was Satan that lurked behind all of this stress. So why does Paul urge Timothy now to understand that which he already knows? Why would he do that? Paul wanted Timothy to understand something, to understand that the gospel and this opposition to this gospel was not just a passing situation. This was not going to pass away. This wasn't going to go away. There was going to be a permanent characteristic of stress for the church age and so many times you know he refers to the last days here uh, in this verse, first verse and, and we can't just lay low hoping that this time is going to pass Timothy couldn't do that and so many times I think well if we just kind of play it cool we just kind of kind of take it low kind of keep, keep from rocking the boat somehow all of this is going to pass away but it's not going to pass away because Paul refers here to the last days. And what we need to realize is what the New Testament writers understood by that phrase, the last days. The last days are not referring to the time before Jesus Christ returns. And this is the way we always preach this. We always talk about well, the last days are the days just before Christ returns. That's not how the Gospel writers saw it. They believed that the Old Age, the Old Testament age, was passing away, and with the coming of Jesus Christ... There was the beginning of this new age. So in other words, the last days had already dawned. We are living back then, 2,000 years ago, and now today in the last days. This is what Peter declared. Let's go back to Acts chapter 2. Let's take a look at this. Turn with me to Acts, the second chapter. Acts chapter 2. And let's look at verse 14. You know that Pentecost had already happened. The Holy Spirit fell. They all began to speak in different languages. And this is what Paul does in verse 14. Or Peter, Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on the flesh. This was happening right then, that day at Pentecost, the last days. Now go over to Hebrews chapter 1, and let's go take a look there. Hebrews, the first chapter. You with me? Hebrews chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days, see the statement? Has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. So what is following here in chapter 3 is not some future time, it's a description of the present. This time of stress, these last days are now upon us. They started when Jesus Christ came. They're going to continue until Jesus Christ returns. And Paul is not describing here some prediction of some future time that Timothy would never live to see. Timothy had to continue in the gospel, and we have to continue in the gospel because these things are presently happening and would continue to get worse. See, they are worse now than when in Timothy day. And like Timothy, see we're already living in these last days that Paul is describing here. And know this, they're going to get worse, not better. They're going to be worse tomorrow. They're going to be worse next year. And if the Lord tarries, they're going to be worse ten years from now than they are today. You think it's bad today? Just wait. So in these last days, it's going to come, it says, times of stress. You see that in verse 1? The word perilous, in some translation, is the word stress. And like Timothy, how many of you believe that we're living in stressful times? We're living in those stressful times today. And the church has been a vessel that's been set out to sea. And that church is not to expect some smooth, uneventful passage that's never going to be troubled. It's been and will continue to be buffeted by storms. Somehow, we've kind of been lulled at the church. We should just find this place of refuge. We should be an ivory tower from the world. No, that's not what it's going to happen. The church is going to be buffeted. The word perilous here, the word stress here, means hard times. It means difficult times. I hate, hate to break the news to you, but if you're in the church, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It means hard to bear. It means hard to deal with. And it is even means violent and dangerous times and days. Do you think that describes how we're living and what the church is going to be facing and is continuing to face around the world today? The word in the Greek is chalipos. It's only used one other time in scripture, used in Matthew chapter eight, when it describes the two gathering demon acts who were so fierce, chalipos, that no one could even pass that way. So this is what the church is to expect. Seasons of perilous, fierce, hard to endure, hard to cope with times, times of chalipos. Now see, that's not a popular message today. We all want to hear good things. We all want to be comforted. We want to all have these nice little messages that we can feel good about. That, that's not what Timothy is to be knowing. It's not what we're to know. Understand that we are living in stressful times. And Paul goes on to tell us why. Look at the little word for. Whenever you see that word for, it's a transition. For, in verse 2, for men will be. See, we're living in times of stress for a reason it's because of the way these men are living and it's important to understand that it is men who are responsible for these stressful times upon the church these menacing seasons upon the church it is men who are responsible these are fallen men they're evil men they're they are men whose nature is not uh, with god they're perverted Their behavior is self-centered, not God-centered. Whose mind is hostile to God, whose minds are hostile to the Word of God. So we have to continue. That's the first challenge here. We have to continue in facing these times of stress. Are we ready? Are we ready? No. Yes. We better be ready to face these times of stress. Now, we must continue even when facing evil men. Look at verse 2 through 9. And stay with me through this. And see if this doesn't describe these men that are causing stress upon the church. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, "...slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of that which is good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into the households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these who also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith. But they will progress no further, for their folly will be made manifest to all as theirs also was. Now, these verses describe the evil men we must face in times of stress. And we have to understand, first of all, their moral conduct in verses 2 to 4, their religious observance in verse 5, and their recruiting zeal in verses 6 through 9. So first we've got to understand and we have to face their moral conduct in verses 2 to 4. Now, there are 19 expressions here that describe the men who are responsible for these times of stress. And I want you to note the first and the last phrase. The first phrase in verse 2 is lovers of self. That tells us what they are. Then the last phrase in verse 4 is not lovers of God. It tells us what they're not. So they are lovers of themselves, but they are not are lovers of God. That's the basic issue here. And note that four of these 19 are compounded with the word love. Would you notice this? See, what is fundamentally wrong with these evil men is that their love is misdirected. That's what's going on today. Instead of being lovers of God, they are lovers of self, in verse 2. They're lovers of money, in verse 2. They're lovers of pleasure. That's why Christians, we get caught up in this. Love yourself. You deserve a break today. Love money. It's all about money. You ask the college graduate while they're going to college, it's all about money. And then they find out they are thousands of thousands of dollars in debt, and there's no job for them when they get out. But it's still a drive for money, a drive for pleasure. People today are not uh, living to work. They're living for pleasure. To live, just make it to the weekend. This Memorial Day weekend isn't about remembering those who died and sacrificed it, so we can have a picnic and we can go out and have fun and we can have a day off. So see, I'm not just putting it to the evil men. Now between these four come 15 expressions. I want you to look at them. They depict the breakdown of our relationship with one another. The first three are about self-love. Look at them they become proud that's self-love they become arrogant that's self-love they become abusive that's self-love whenever you find someone who is proud or arrogant or abusive it's because they're in love with themselves that's the bottom line now the next five if you follow this refer to family life especially one's relationship to the parents disobedient to their parents ungrateful to their parents, unholy towards God, which relates back to how they see God in the family, lacking in human affection. First of all, in the home and family of the brothers and sisters, and then it goes out. Inconcilable. That means not willing to negotiate. It's my way or the highway. Now, all five of these are lacking towards the family. Lacking obedience, lacking gratitude, lacking respect, lacking affections, lacking reasonableness. It's interesting here that the remaining seven go beyond the family now. Slanderers speak evil of one another. Ungovernable, they won't be governed, they don't want to be governed unless they're doing the governing. They lack self-control. They're fierce, the word means untamed like wild animals. They're haters of God, treacherous. The word is used of Judas, his treachery, his traitor. Reckless, it's thoughtless in their word and in their deed. Puffed up, conceited, filled with self importance. Say, boy, that's the most encouraging message I've ever heard, Pastor. We realize what I'm describing here are the stressful times and the evil men in which we are living. And somehow we think, oh, it's going to get better. Jesus is going to get better and better. No, it's not. It's going to get worse and worse. Somehow we think there's going to be this great revival that's going to sweep over us. No, the next thing that's coming is the Antichrist. The next thing that's coming is the return of Christ. Christ. But we don't live in light of that. Oh, you know, that's what they said. Oh, you know, he's delayed his coming. He's not coming. You know, it's not true. He's ready to come. And after this unsocial, antisocial behavior here, this disobedient, ungrateful, disrespectful, inhuman attitude towards their parents, and you couple that along with the absence of restraint, the absence of loyalty, the absence of humility is all because of one thing, their godless self-centeredness. You just look around you today, and I don't care if it's in our government or in our work relationships, it is self-centered. It's all about me. It's not about even about America and the people anymore. It's about those who have power and who want to do it. And let's, let's carry that all, all the way over to church. So the root of the problem in these times of stress is that men are self-centered. They're lovers of self. What's in it for me? And that's why we come to church, what's in it for me? Are they singing what I want to sing? Are they saying what I want to hear? Are they doing what I want to do? So church becomes what's selfish for me. Now, here's the thing. Only the gospel offers the solution to all of this. Only the gospel promises new birth. Only this gospel promises a new creation. Only this gospel promises a reorientation from self to God. So we have to become God-centered rather than self-centered. So this is his message. Timothy, if you're going to pass a baton to this gospel, this gospel is not going to go to the next generation until you remain centered in God. See, that's why we have to continue in the gospel because men, it's moral conduct. So continue. Second, we have to understand and we have to face their religious observance. Look at verse 5. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. See, such people that we've just described, all of these evil characteristics, they're religious. That might shock us, but they're religious. But notice the emptiness of their religion. John Stott put it this way, and I love it. He says, In the history of mankind, religion and morality have always been divorced and not married. Now stop and think about that. Here you have religion. Here you have morality. They should be married. But more often than not, they're divorced. And Scripture Confirms that. I want to go to, break away from 2 Timothy. We're going to be back there. But we'll go to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1. This great prophet. Isaiah chapter 1. Let's look beginning with verse 14. Your new moons, see their religion? Your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hold my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cause... Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together. And What about what Jesus said? Let's go to Matthew 23 and look at the words of Jesus in verse 35. Matthew 23, verse 25, excuse me. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you religious, hypocrites for you clean the outside of the cup and the outside of the dish but inside they're full of extortions and self indulgence there's our word self-centeredness so paul describes them here back in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 5 and i'd like to put this in a modern translation They sing hymns and choruses. They say amen to their prayers. They put money in the offering plate. They look and sound pious, but form without power. Outward show without any inward reality. Religion without morals. Faith without works. Now Paul gives us a warning about this kind of religion, avoid it, they're counterfeit. Let's go to the last thing we want to look at and that, that we must understand and face. We must face the time of stress and we must face the evil men. We must face their recruiting zeal. Look at verses six through nine, this is going to be especially hard on the women but we're going to try to explain this so you can understand this. Now. If you look at verses 6 through 9 here, these people that Paul are describing not only profess these things, not only are they religious in these things, they propagate these things and promote these things. It's interesting because the word capture here means to take prisoner. See, you are being recruited by evil men and by their false religion to deliberately take you prisoner. Now, the word carry away here, notice this, it means to mislead and to deceive. It means to deliberately lie. I want to tell you, folks, we are being lied to. We are being lied to. We are being misled. We're being deceived. And they are misleading and they are deceiving in order to take prisoners. Now, their method was not direct. See, we we used to fight the battle about Satan and Satan church and all these things. It's not that cut and dry today. It's subtle. It's secretive. It's cunning. They use the back door rather than the front door, and because we're watching the front door, we don't even realize what's coming in through the back door. And they would choose a time, in this particular illustration here, and I want you to understand this, when the menfolk were gone, and they concentrated their attention on the weak women at home. Now, that doesn't mean all women at home are weak. You've got to understand the word here. Paul uses the word ganakaria. That's the Greek word. It means little women, not the book. It means women that were weakness and doubt. Idle, silly, weak. First, these were morally weak. Burdened with sin, swayed by various impulses, easy to feast upon their feelings of guilt, they were now. Got to take this a grain of salt. They were intellectually weak. Now, by that, it means that they would never arrive. Notice this: the key. They never arrived at the knowledge through all of their learning, through all of their education, through all of their learning. They never arrived. At the, at the knowledge of the truth. They were intellectually, spiritually weak. Watch the people that are coming two by two, and when do they come to your home, and who they like to talk to. In the beginning, Satan deceived the woman First. There's a reason for that, because of their relational compassion, easy mark for these people who want to recruit them as prisoners. I'm going to go off that. I didn't intend to say that. I'm going to say it, because it needs to be said. In the New Testament, yes, you had women teachers and you had women prophetesses, but the leadership of the church did not belong to the women. Go look up the qualifications of an elder. Men, we have capitulated our headship we've given up our leadership in the home in our church in our nation and when there is no leadership women will step there because they have to but see oh, I'm off my notes may go a little longer than I thought See, this is what happened. See, God did not design, when he created man and woman, to be like this. He created them like this. And when woman was deceived, she usurped man's authority. She didn't go consult her husband. The man capitulated his headship. And as a result, we have this crazy relationship now where a woman has to be submissive to a man. God never intended it to be that way. Sin has created that, folks. You can agree or disagree with me. But I don't know why I went off there except I did. But the key here is this. They never came to a knowledge of the truth. So Paul gives an example of such recruiting teachers, Janus and Jambres. You know they appear nowhere in the scripture but here, but Jewish tradition tells us that these were the two chief musicians in Pharaoh's court when Moses was asking to deliver the people for the exodus, and these two were able to produce almost all the miracles that Moses... So you be careful about these false religious people that can produce all these miracles, signs, and wonders. That doesn't necessarily mean they're from God. They weren't. But Moses was greater and their, their, their end was soon found and the end of these people will soon be discovered as well. But both Janus and Jambres and the false teachers in Paul's day, they oppose the truth. Look at verse 13. Here's the problem. Evil men, impostors, will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's going to be worse than Janus and Jambres. It's going to be worse than the false prophets in Paul's day. Now I tell you, sometimes We get distressed in this day of false teachers and those who oppose the church and trouble the church but God has and he will continue to keep to his truth preserve his truth and preserve his church but we too we have to continue in the things that we have learned as Reagan once said we're only one generation away from losing our freedom we're only one generation from losing this gospel. Remember when I had you stand and, and had this generation has to go to this generation has to go to this generation. And if we don't pass it on to the next generation, it will be gone. So folks, we cannot be swept away by this flood of evil. We cannot be swept away by these times of stress. We cannot be Swept away by these evil men, but we have to stand against the prevailing tide. Do you remember the days? I remember we used to be able to go out to Long Beach Harbor, and the Queen Mary was out there, and you could go visit the Queen Mary. You paid a little price, you'd go on, and you can go visit the deck. You could walk the decks, you go walk the staterooms, you'd go see where the officers' quarters were, down to where the meals were served, the theaters, and there were even actors hired to act out all these parts, the crew and everything. And then you could go down and you can watch a film. Uh, about the ship and its great history. And there's a statement in that film that has haunted me every day of my life. And it's haunted me about the church. At the end of that little video, this was the statement made. The great, greatest ship that ever went to sea is now the greatest ship to come and see. To get it? A museum piece to past glory and that's what's happened in the church we're museum pieces of past glory and we need to strip everything off of that deck and get the ship back out and start sailing again on the high seas that means we're going to have to continue in the things that we have learned the times of stress are distressing And we wonder, at least I wonder at times, whether the world and the church has not gone mad with their views and with their lax standards. We're mad. And the charge comes to Timothy, stand fast. Continue in the things that you have learned. Get your life, get your church, out of a dry dock get the things off of it that's not meant for sailing and let's get the church and your life back out there making a difference in the marketplace where we live every day let the word of God make you men and women of God remain and stay the course our little grandson well, he's not little he's 13 this spring he played football and track and baseball but he ran track he ran the, the 100 yard, the 200 yard, the high jump, the, the long jump, the 400 meters. And he almost won every event. Now I'm bragging about him, but here's the story. He was running a quarter mile, that's one lap around the track. And this kid and him, they were way ahead of everyone else, and he came up to the top of the track, about 125, 150 meters or yards, depending on what you're using to, to run. And they were running side by side. And all of a sudden, he lost his shoe. And you saw him stumble for a moment. Now, at that moment, he had a choice. Either he was going to finish the race, stay the course, or he's going to quit. Now, we have it on video. You won't believe it. He not only finished, he won the race with one shoe. Why do I bring that? Because he remained. He continued. He stayed the course. We must continue to remain what we have learned. Even though facing stressing times, even though we're going to face evil men, we've got to continue. We have to understand their moral conduct and avoid it. We have to understand their empty religion void of the Holy Spirit's power and transformation and enabling in our life. We have to understand that these evil men and these evil times want to conform you and recruit you to their way of life. So we must boldly stand against the prevailing tide. As your pastor, I will remain. I will stay. Who will stay with me? Who will stay with me? Who will remain? Stand to your feet if you are willing. don't do it because somebody else is doing it. If you are making a commitment today as your pastor that I'm going to remain and I'm going to stay the course, I want you to stand. Nobody look around, heads bowed. This is your commitment before the Lord. I will remain. I will stay the course. I will continue with the things that I have learned. And I'll be faithful in that which I've learned. Father, you see those that are standing and those that maybe cannot stand. Or maybe don't want to stand today. But Lord, these are your people. This is your church. And they've heard the same message that Timothy has heard. Four men, but you. And we'll see you next week. Continue. Continue in this scripture. And I pray that this day, the last day, Well, I guess tomorrow is the last day of May. On this Memorial Day weekend, we made a memorable stand to remain, to stay the course, to remain faithful. Lord, the times will come. Evil men we will face. It will be stressful, but we'll finish the race. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Can we remain standing as we close with our closing song? What a song to end in. Only King forever.